0: from WRHU in Hempstead, New York. This is Getting to the Root.
1: We explore issues in depth and shed light on important topics that you won't hear on your day-to-day news
2: broadcast. Covering topics of local, national, and international importance while bringing community voices to center stage.
0: This is Naila Andre, executive producer of Getting to the Root. This week, I wanted to delve into gerrymandering, a political gambit that is being ruled illegal in courts across the nation. Dictionary.com defines gerrymandering as the dividing of a state or county into election districts while concentrating the voting strength of the other party into as few districts as possible. To understand this topic, I sat down in the studio with two Hofstra University professors.
3: Craig Dalton.
0: An assistant professor of geography, he specializes in information systems, maps, data, and breaks down the concepts and terms associated with gerrymandering. And Dr. Katrina Sims. A historian of race and gender who will give us some of the historical context for which gerrymandering exists. So where does gerrymandering, or what some may call gerrymandering, come from? It started in Massachusetts in 1812 with a governor named Elbridge Gerry. Elbridge was a founding father and Democratic Republican, but what he's most remembered for is being the first person to use political motivations to redraw district boundaries. A local newspaper, the Boston Gazette, found the new district map so convoluted, they traced over it and drew a face on it. Many people thought the creature they created looked a lot like a salamander. And that's where the term gerrymander comes from. So what is a district?
3: A district is an area that is represented by a single politician, be it a single member of the US House of Representatives or a single representative in a, in a legislature in the state, so a state legislature up in Albany, or even Nassau County's legislature here in Nassau County. So it's a given area with a discrete boundary that's represented by that politician at that scale of government. So to give you some frame of reference, the districts for the U.S. House of Representatives in Washington have in the ballpark of 700,000 plus people in each district.
0: Districts aren't inherently political, but they can be manipulated so.
3: Where geography enters into this is if we have a district which has particular legally defined boundaries. Where do those boundaries fall? What gerrymandering does is it draws those boundaries to the benefit of a single political party or politician or some kind of political interest group.
0: And like I stated earlier, this tactic goes back almost as far as the founding of this country. The only difference now is technology.
3: What's happened is that it is now possible to anticipate with a higher degree of certainty than ever before, not how a town or a zip code or even a single street is going to vote, but it's increasingly become a matter of individualized, personalized geographic data connected with voting patterns. When you know that much about the population on an individualized level. No, you cannot anticipate exactly how they're going to vote in the next election. But you can make a pretty good guess. And a pretty good guess, spread across a district to 700,000 people, is good enough to reliably win an election.
0: Politicians can't just redistrict their states anytime they want. It happens at a certain time, says Dr. Katrina Sims.
4: We know every decade there's a gathering of demographic information about the citizenry of the United States. And the idea here, again, is to make sure that the number of representatives within
0: the Congress is reflective of that population distribution. That gathering of demographic information, of course, is the census. And again, this data alone is innocuous. But when political parties use this data to their advantage, well that's a different ballgame
4: what we have seen is that the democratic party and the republican party has engaged in these sort of uh, uh, tactics of trying to ensure that going forward their party has the sort of power has the influence to ensure their electoral
0: victories generally when you hear people complain about gerrymandering it's coming from the left
3: the 2010 election was at the national level and in many states and local levels a wave election for the republican party they won a very large number of seats and they in part because presidents tend to lose seats in Congress in their first midterm election, which uh, 2010 was for President Obama. So Republicans saw a huge number of gains in Congress, but more importantly for for redistricting in state houses around the country. And when they won that uh, enormous wave in 2010, they were the party in power for drawing the lines right after the 2010 census. And it is, in most states, the state legislature, that draws the lines. So, through the through the coincidence of the you know electoral calendar, it came right after Republican wave. So you hear about uh, gerrymandering as a complaint of the left more often than the right right now, because most pl- most political districts in the United States were drawn by the Republican Party.
0: But as Dr. Dalton stated, Republicans just have more opportunity to use this political tactic. And as Dr. Sims goes on to say. Democrats aren't above using this tactic as well.
4: The Democratic Party has engaged in a similar technique of gerrymandering. The example would be in Maryland with the current Beneshek versus Lamon decision that, has, uh, that the Supreme Court has recently agreed to hear coming up March 28th, uh, where the Democratic Party has engaged in cracking, where they distributed Republican Party voters throughout Mont- Montgomery County to prevent... Republican victory and to ensure Democratic victories. right? So both parties have engaged in these tactics, which has been a point of consternation.
0: Gerrymandering can become particularly insidious when its purpose is to render the votes of minorities useless.
4: Now, in states like North Carolina and Texas, gerrymandering has emerged as racially defined, where African Americans are unable to sort of ensure that their preferred party candidate is elected uh, as a result of the way in which the districts have been drawn. That is an example of that packing, pushing together African American
0: voters. The packing that Dr. Sims is referring to is a gerrymandering tactic where the party doing the redistricting concentrates voters of a certain demographic into one district, which provides this demographic with the representation they may want within their district, but not in the surrounding ones. The adverse to this tactic is called cracking. Cracking happens when the party doing the redistricting spreads voters of a certain demographic across multiple districts to dilute their vote, denying them a representation. Dr. Sims goes on to explain that the act of gerrymandering to impact the power of black voters has a long history in the United States.
4: Gerrymandering has a long legacy and it has been used particularly within this racial context as a tool to undermine African-American votes and ultimately prevent African-American representatives from being able to be successfully elected to the Congress. This goes back to the 15th Amendment. Uh, In 1870, during the Reconstruction period, African Americans acquired the vote as a result of constitutional protections that they cannot be denied access to the ballot based on race. And subsequently, what we see between 1869 and about 1873 is thousands, approximately 2,000 African Americans will go on to be elected by this new black electorate to all sort of levels of government, the local, the state, and the national levels. As a counter, uh, an effort to regain control, Southern politicians, particularly Southern Democrats, would introduce these new sort of strategies, these new techniques um, to prevent African Americans from having representation and ultimately prevent African Americans from participating in the vote. And what they quickly realized is to prevent black representation, just simply introduce some barriers to African Americans having access to the ballot and that becomes successful and as a result we'll go from having let's say in states like Mississippi about a hundred African Americans represented at the state level two black senators the first two black senators who will join the U.S. Senate are from Mississippi right Hiram Rebels, Blanche K. Bruce We would go from that sort of period of representation within the Black community to over 100 years of no representation at the national level as a result of this redistricting, this redrawing of boundaries to prevent African-American representation by, again, diluting the vote by sort of cracking them and distributing them over
0: various districts. According to a Pew Research survey from 2014, 80% of Black people identify as Democrat, So in Republican-run states like North Carolina and Texas, packing is used to concentrate Black voters in one area. At first glance, this might seem like a great idea. Black voters get to elect representatives they feel represent them, right? Well, actually, if all the Black voters are concentrated in one area, they'll have way less impact in the state as a whole.
4: What we quickly find out by the 80s is that The Voting Rights Act of 1965 does not address the way in which districts are manipulated to favor one party over another. And in the South, again, this is particularly to allow uh, the Democratic Party immediately after Reconstruction and then subsequently the Republican Party after the election of uh, 1968 control of the South. And it prevents African-American representation. And so in 1982, we ultimately have an amendment um, to the Voting Rights Act, which now introduces um, the real conversation about the ways in which racial gerrymandering has been used to prevent African-Americans from
0: accessing the ballot. The Supreme Court is currently presiding over a partisan gerrymandering case that could possibly impact similar cases elsewhere. In Gill versus Whitford, Democrat Wisconsin citizens are arguing that in 2011, Republican politicians planned to redistrict the state by packing Democrats in a way that they felt would make their votes useless, thus impeding their freedom of speech.
3: If if Wisconsin is found to be gerrymandered, what that's going to mean is a whole lot more cases that attempt to use the same baseline test for whether or not their state's district boundaries are gerrymandered, and some will, some may be more so than others. It is a statistical test that ends up with a percentage score for estimating the degree of gerrymanderedness of a particular set of districts across an entire state. So that even if Wisconsin is found to be gerrymandered according to the terms of this test, it's not gonna change the boundaries elsewhere automatically. It's gonna mean more, it would mean more litigation for each state in which this is brought up, and other states may not pass the benchmark as determined by the justices.
0: So Gill versus Whitford probably won't change the course of history as we know it, but it's a start. So with that being said, I asked Dr. Craig Dalton, what can be done to prevent gerrymandering in the future? Dr. Dalton works with MAPS for a living, He says maps will always be political, and there's no way to sidestep this, but...
3: You're never going to be able to have a truly independent, apolitical drawing of districts. But you can not ask the legislators who are going to benefit the most from gerrymandering to do the redistricting themselves.
0: And there are several places in the U.S. attempting to take the power of redistricting out of the hands of people who have the most to gain from it. As of right now... California, Idaho, Washington, and Arizona are the only four states that have independent commissions to handle congressional redistricting. There are other states considering this method as well, so who knows where this will go? For Getting to the Root, I'm Naila Andre.
2: Thanks once again to our executive producer, Naila Andre, for that story. Such an important topic in American politics today, and it's becoming even more and more talked about. Now, this next piece is a short one, but we figured we just had to play it on today's show. Now, last night during Newsline, that's the weekday evening news broadcast here at WRHU, I heard this piece from reporters Daniel Zukowski and Jenny Goldstein about the St. Patrick's Day parade in Huntington over the weekend and they had a very specific and really interesting story about a drum and bugle core that's entirely made up of specially abled individuals. Now, we found this piece just so touching and interesting that we had to air it today, even though it's only a spot news piece that's pretty short. So, without further ado, here's this report from Danielle and Jenny.
1: We're a group that has disabilities, and we're really perfect because we all come together as one, and... Our drum Brian Calhoun, who just had a baby, um, he's the one that came up with this idea and we all got together and wanted to join it.
5: That was James Hausman, member of the Free Player Drum and Bugle Corps. They're the first differently abled drum corps in the world. Another member, Carl Mascioli, wanted to join the Free Players to be a part of a community.
1: When I first found them, I wanted to join them so badly because I've seen how great they can do. I've seen the wonderful things they can do
5: and it really inspired me. Carl's mother, Jeanette Desposito, is proud of her son's hard work.
3: I'm amazed at the difference in him. I was very worried when he graduated school as to where he was going to find his place. And
0: since he found the free players, he's found this family that is so important to him.
5: Music director Brian Calhoun was inspired by his own differently abled
1: brother. What initially inspired me to work in the field is my younger brother has autism. So I grew up in the field my entire life. I have been volunteering at special education schools, and OCs, and Special Olympics since I was eight years old. This year, we got chosen to go to Indianapolis to go to DCI, World Championship. It took us hard work and participation.
5: Sean McLeod is one of the section leaders of the tenor drums.
1: We all work together, we, we teamwork makes the dream work. We all work together and uh, we, we keep on going. We never give up.
5: Carly Schofeld was once in the Color Guard but has recently moved to snare drum, an instrument that not many women play. I was in the Color Guard
0: before I moved to the marching. I was on the flag, but now that I'm starting to be a snare and I have more challenges to do and, and more tricks I can do with a snare. And it's really fun
5: and we really love it. James is motivated by something beyond drum corps.
1: Practicing really, really hard on the trumpets and all the brass section, it's really hard to practice. We got to take our time, you know, move our lips, like, and spit and all that. What motivates me is WWE that motivates me, and I know that I could do it. And like I always say, never give up.
5: Director Brian Calhoun says
1: anything is possible. I say show them what the possibilities are. They're going to pick up something. The possibilities are really endless. If you're willing to work hard enough and you can you really achieve almost anything, you just have to be willing to put in the work.
2: Thanks once again to reporters Danielle Zukowski and Jenny Goldstein for letting us use that piece from over the weekend. Now, before we go, we just want to make a couple of announcements that we don't normally make on this show. Yes, we're going to be plugging ourselves a little bit right now, but we're very excited to announce that Getting to the Root is now available wherever you get your podcasts, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on so many other podcast distribution platforms online and on your mobile device. The team here at Getting to the Root is very excited and very humbled by the support we've already gotten for this show, and we're very excited to take it beyond the walls of WRHU. In addition, Getting to the Root is also available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Just go to PRX.org and search for Getting to the Root in the search box. Thanks so much for listening to this week's edition of the show. Again, you can find this episode and our previous ones on our Mixcloud page, and now wherever you get your podcasts. Also, a big thank you to the musicians who contributed their work to this episode. We'd like to thank Ryan Little and Safi No. All of their music was accessed via the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org.